So, first of all, thank you to our hosts, to Joe and Joyce for hosting us. A special thank you to, uh, to Joe and Joyce for paying all your relatives to come listen to me. And I guess your friends, too. Um, thank you to Amy, Sarah, the whole uh, Lishma committee. I don't know, how many of these have we done this year? I don't know, well, I didn't put you on the spot, but we've done, thank God, a number of these classes um, throughout the year, and I think, you know, I have the job often talking to relatively newer parents, telling them about the school, and often one of the things I say is how many opportunities there are for our students in the yeshiva during the day, and we try to have equally different, but uh, many opportunities for parents, so this committee, which was a uh, a couple of years in the making that the group worked really hard on, I think, is really seeing the fruits of their labor, um, you know, come to uh, fruition. Um, so thank you all for joining. Um, my goal tonight, also I have to say one other thing, and I, this is half a joke and half not. Bad joke if you introduce it as a joke, but this is also a little bit of a function of the Claudiusol Committee. So some of you may or may not know that we have a Claudiusol Committee that's uh, only about two years old, which essentially is the committee that tries to make sure that our yeshiva is open to all types of people, Ashkenaz, Sephard, Syrian, and so forth. Uh, there's been a major focus in certain uh, Brooklyn communities that have Ashkenaz. So I feel as like the lone Ashkenaz rabbi, you're going to have to forgive me here as I try to move back and forth between my pronunciations. Um, and the final disclaimer, really, to thank you for everybody for coming, happens to be I've now been working in uh, yeshivot like Flatbush, including Flatbush, for about the last 22 years or so. The first 15, 16, I was always still teaching in the classroom. The last seven, eight, nine years, as I've been uh, busy with other things, so I don't take this opportunity uh, too frequently, so I appreciate everybody coming to listen. And, uh, oh, I did, I missed that one part, thank you. And thank you again to, for the third time to uh, Joe and Joyce, but more uh, to, for sponsoring and hosting in honor of uh, Joe's parents. And special thank you to my friend Eddie for, for uh, giving up his other learning tonight, uh, or part of it to come. So really what I'd like to do, and if you bear with me, I'm not the type of person I've sung to Amy, how long should we go? I'm not going to keep you, uh, you know, too long. We're trying to find the sweet spot. Um, but really what my goal is, is to take a look at a couple of sources and to really ask, I don't know, about a dozen or so questions. I think we'll come up with some good answers to these questions, but as a disclaimer, pretty much every question we ask tonight, we could probably spend a whole class just talking about each one. My goal really is for us to leave tonight with a pretty broad perspective of Kabbalah Torah. We know we're heading into the holiday of Shavuot, which is associated with uh, Kabbalah Torah, And what does that mean? Uh, where does it come from in the Torah? And as the shir was titled, how do we apply that and accept it every day of our life? And I think if you uh, bear with me for the next uh, half hour or so, I think we could probably bring a few concepts together and maybe we'll find uh, some meaning uh, to carry us, not just this week uh, into the holiday, but really beyond. So with that, I'm going to just uh, throw this out to the crowd first. When you think of the Kabbalah Torah, what comes to mind? Just shout out some, 
Har Sinai, good, thank you. Nasevi Nishma. Nasevi Nishma, good, what else? Staying up all night and learning. Staying up all night, okay, good. So, anyone else? A present. A present, excellent. What about if you think about in Tanakh, right? We mentioned Nasev and Nishma, which is the first source we'll talk about quickly. We mentioned um, Matan Torah, Har Sinai. Where else do we find the concept of Kabbalah Torah? Maybe not related to Shavuot specifically. Anyone have any other ideas? You could definitely cheat and look on the paper if you want. Sarah Devot. Good, so that's probably connected into, into this. Anybody else? If not, we'll jump in. So the first thing I think that most of us think about is this Matan Torah, Har Sinai, Aserat Dibro, Naseh Nishma. So let's take a look. That's the very first Pasuk here. But you can't say for Habrit, I hope, I don't know about you, this is getting a little small for me to read. It looks like I'm older than a good bunch of you, not everybody. But you can't say for Habrit, but you can't say for Habrit, Right? I will do and then I will listen or learn. So what comes to mind when you think about Nasa Vanishma? What does that really mean? Basic basic understanding? Accepting blindly. blindly. Good. Does that mean that you it's not really accepting blindly because otherwise it would just be Nasa. Right? The Nishma means it just means I think it's accepting and then learning, right? So I think there's a very basic element of our acceptance of the Torah and everything that comes along with it, that there's one thing is our acceptance. We have our whole life to learn and to learn more deeply and to understand better, right? The same way we, treat, we, we teach young children to do mitzvot, they have no clue what they're doing, right? But there's this act part this part of us doing, basically because that's what Hashem said we should do. And then, and this is where I guess I wouldn't call it blindly, I want to learn, and I should learn, but that's not supposed to impact the na'asa part, right? Meaning, when I think about the mitzvot that I do, it's not because I went to a class and I learned a great explanation about a particular mitzvah, right? I do it because... I do it because Hashem told me to. Then, if I connect, and we all know we connect better and more deeply with different mitzvot than others. Right? Just, it's just normal, it's natural. No matter how many you know, hours in a week and how many classes we go to, we can't possibly all learn every mitzvah deeply, every perush and so on. So I think the basic element that we'll start with is this idea that there's this acceptance to do totally disconnected from the fact of what we might understand. It's just, Hashem said so, we have the elements of uh, Matan Torah. And we'll come back to this in a more deep way. There's another one, and I think once we read this, I think uh, many of us will remember, we learned this somewhere along the lines. Um, the next Pasuk comes, Moshe comes down, and he finds that the nation was basically gathered by the bottom of the, of the mountain. What does that mean? So there is a Gemara in Mesechat Shabbat, which says, that's source number three, 
אמר רב אבדימי, בר חמא, בר חסא, מלמד שכפה הקדוש ברוך הוא עליהם הר כגיגיד. Hard to understand, but I think when you leave tonight, we're going to have a few good ideas. That it's as if Hashem lifted the mountain on top of us. Va'amar lahem, and he said to the Jews, If you do it, it will be good for you. And if not, not. Right? And if you don't, There will be your burial. So, we'll see in a few minutes where this takes place and what the background to this was. But it seems now like there's this whole new element of Kabbalah Torah, which is not at all about our own personal acceptance. It's about, to some extent, I'm going to use the words that seem to be the understanding, although we'll enhance that shortly, being forced. There's a certain element that Hashem is forcing upon us. And He's not really forcing it, right? You know, if we don't mind Sham Tehei then I guess we don't have to listen, right? But any normal, rational person doesn't want a bad outcome for them. So, in a certain sense, we'll call it coerced, if not forced. And Rashi on that Gemara says, and this is source four, She'im yazminam lama kiyamta masha kibatem aleichem this idea of onus, right, of force or coercion, that this is the idea of part of Kabbalah Torah, which again, at first, sounds very strange. There's about six questions we'll ask on, on this one. We all learn from the very beginning about Bechirach Hafshit, we have free will, Right? Is this really what Hashem wants us to look at Kabbalah Torah like, like, like somehow we're in the scheme of being forced into keeping the Torah? Where's all the lovely parts, the love, the wanting to be part of something special? We'll come back to that. And finally, and this is the one that people don't always realize, it's also one of the good things about being a rabbi. If you know what you're talking about, you could repurpose a shiur, a class like this, different times of the year. So it happens to be most of the previous times I've given a version of this was actually right around Purim time. Because if you look at source number five, from the Megillat Esther, it says, Kimu v'kiblu ha-yehudim alayim. This is at the very end, almost at the very end of the, of the uh, Megillah, where after all of the miracles happen, Haman and his, and his uh, sons are killed. Kimu v'kiblu, the Jews at the time, right there, Kimu v'kibu, this double language of accepting. So if you look again, a Gemara in Mesechet Shabbat, source 6 says, Amar Rava, af al-pichin hadur kibluha The interpretation of kimu v'kibu means that there was another acceptance of the Torah there at the end of the story and the miracles of Purim. So I don't know about you, but most people, right, None of you, five people or so, that blotted out an idea of right, Kabbalah Torah. No one turned to Purim. Now, maybe it's a few months ago, we're tired, we don't remember it. But the truth of the matter is that there is a lot that we could talk about, and we'll touch on it a little bit at the end, that Purim was really what I'm going to call now our third, as far as I know in Tanakh, this is the end, but our third version 
of Kabbalah the Torah. So we have Nasev and Nishma. We have this idea, which for short I'll use, Kafalim Harkigigit, that Hashem lifted the mountain, this kind of coercion. And then we have this third version of a reacceptance of the Torah. Now, I don't know about you, I'm not the biggest historian, but the story of Purim happened way, way later, right? Number one. There were a lot of miracles in between, right? So what was it about Purim that somehow reconnected us to Kabbalah Torah? So we'll try to touch on that one, but again, there's a lot to talk about there. We'll leave some of it uh, for Purim. I'll give you... I don't like to ask a question and not get any answers. So we'll try to at least give some answer uh, to each question. So our very first question that we're going to start with now is why three? Why do we have three Kabbalah Torah? What are we supposed to learn from each of them? What exactly happens here? And as an aside, I'm going to ask another question, which seemingly at this point has nothing to do with anything yet. I don't know about you, but I imagine most of us when we learn through Tanakh, we often ask questions. Sometimes we're able to look at the Perushim and find answers. Sometimes the question is better than the answer that we find. So there's one, I would say, my personal question for many, many years about something I just couldn't fathom, despite what there may be written in the Perushim, is the story of the Chet Ego. However you understand it, what the Chet was... That's another time. But 40 days after Har Sinai, Kabbalah Torah, Nasa Vinishma, right? Perhaps the most miraculous event, you know, right up there with Kriyat Yamsuf and leaving Mitzrayim. 40 days later, again, whatever the chait was, it was not good, right? And the Jewish people who had just witnessed all this commit this Avera. Now, I don't know about you. I'm no perfect guy. But I'd like to think that if I was there, I wouldn't have done that, right? Forty days later, God just took our generation out of Mitzrayim, right? We live, imagine living through all that. So anyway, there's lots of answers out there, but I'm going to put that question aside for a minute because I think when we understand these three Kabbalah Torah properly, perhaps we can come up with a good perspective on that. But to me... You may think that question is bad, but to me that was one of these questions that uh, always bothered me, um, again, despite what you might find in the Perushim. So, let's delve a little bit better into Nasa Vinishma. So if you look at Source 7, it is from the Supurno on this Pasa, and this is more or less what we said before. But he gives a very interesting analogy. Nasa v'nishma, nasa l'tachlit shenishma b'kolo. That we do it because we're listening to the voice of Hashem. Ka'avadim, like servants, ha'mishamshim et harav, shelo al derech l'kabel pras. Right? So we know there's a famous Mishnah in Perkei Avot where we talk about the, uh, the virtue of serving Hashem for no reason other than to serve Him. Not because we're going to get reward. Yes, God willing, we'll get rewarded. And that, it's not that that's not important. And it's important for us to believe it and understand it. But that's, again, Na'asa v'nishma means we're a simple servant. We're doing it just because we believe Hashem said, this is what we should be doing. So that's the idea of Na'asa v'nishma. Now, 
Anyone here have any theories as to why the story has to continue? Right? It's a beautiful, beautiful concept. One I think we could all connect to. That there's a certain leap of faith that we're making. And then hopefully connecting back to appreciating it. So why did the Torah not end there? I don't mean the, the storybook of the Torah, but why, why is there another two or a sec, second or third Kabbalah Torah? What's the downfall of Nasa and Ishma? Any thoughts? Anybody? As beautiful as it is? So, it's a tough crowd. So, um, the downside is if I'm accepting it myself, maybe I'll give it up too myself. Right? If it's all because I'm appreciating, what happens if I don't appreciate anymore? Or I'm not connected that day, or I'm having a bad day, a bad week, a bad year. Right? So there's this element that Nasa Vinishma, as important as it is, it's not the whole story. It's not the full perspective, if you will, of, of Nasa Vinishma. As an aside, this is really a story that no, most uh, that most people give um, around um, around uh, Sukkot time, just because you talk about halal a lot. But there's a famous a famous Hasidish story that basically says that there was a, a person who went to his rabbi. He had all kinds of tzarot. People were sick, business problems. He, he came to the rabbi and he said, what am I supposed to do? I've been trying everything. I've been working hard. And well, you know, he, he spoke to him about all the different problems he had. So his rabbi said to him, next month on Rosh Chodesh, and for the next few months on Rosh Chodesh, right? apropos, today was Rosh Chodesh, when you say Hallel, and you say Ana Hashem, recognizing Hashem, have extra kavana, have extra intent and focus of Hashem being, you know, your God. So he said, great. He leaves, comes back a few months later. Fortune doesn't really change too much. And you know, and this goes in the Hasidic world, like when the Rebbe tells you something's going to happen, you know, you think it's going to happen. So he came back all distraught. And he said to the Rebbe, remember, you told me this and that. And he said to the Rebbe, he said to him, what did you do? So he said, whenever I said, Ana Hashem Hoshiana, Ana Hashem Hoshiana, I had this special intent like you said. So the Rebbe said, no, 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 you misunderstood me. There's another Pasuk in Halal of Ana Hashem Kiani Avdecha. That was what I was trying to tell you, that when you look at yourself as the Eved to Hashem, right? Similar to the way we saw before from that uh, Gemara and, and the Sipurno, that this idea of being an Eved Hashem, which we all often throw out, but I think when we say Eved Hashem, at least the beginning element of that is this Nasa Vinishma part. So just to wrap up kind of this little part one, Nasa Vinishma is, is amazing. In fact, we'll come back to that at the very end. It's probably the part we should be thinking about at least on Shavuot, because that's historically when that part came. But the title of the year is not Kabbalah the Torah on Shavuot, it's on every day. So we're going to try to uh, bring these other two elements in together.
Let's go back now to part two, this idea of kafa alayim harakigigi. So anyone know when that took place? That, it seems, was coming more for the story of the second Luchot. So we know the story. Moshe Rabbeinu goes back up uh, after, you know, uh, destroying the first Luchot, goes to do Teshuvah for Chal Yisrael. He comes back down. When did he come back down? Historically, what day of the year was it? It was Yom Kippur. The reason why we say, and there's probably other parts to this, um, the special paragraph of the David Hashem Ori Vishi in Chodesh Elul, we say it through Yom Kippur, is because it's that's the forty days of Teshuvah. It really stems from Moshe Rabbeinu coming down with the second Luchot. So the reality is, and again, we're not going to do this now, but most of us look at Yom Kippur as a day of Teshuvah, which of course it is, but. Part of that is actually Yom Kippur is also a day of Kabbalah Torah, right? Because this second acceptance of the Torah actually occurred historically on Yom Kippur. So there's this element of force, of coercion, that was necessary, right? And we'll try to dig deeply in a few, in a, now as to explain why. Um, and then I think hopefully that will help us understand the ego question I asked. So, how do we understand the question I mentioned before? This idea of being forced, what happened to free will, right? What happened to, you know, is this how we want to think about our relationship with Hashem and the Kabbalah Torah? So, I'll throw out a few different insights. They're not on the source sheet. Thought this would take us too long if we did all of them in the source sheet, but I'll, I'll quote who they're from and we can help you find the source if you want to look them up. So the Maharalmi Prague asks this question, as do many. And he basically takes that word from Rashi that we saw of unas, coercion, and interprets it in a way that's totally different from at least anything I've said till now. He uses the phrase. Anusim Mahmat Hakara. That there was a certain awesomeness of the events of Kabbalah Torah that were so awesome that we were as if we were forced. I Meaning, obviously, we all know there was no mountain above our head physically, right? The, the, the Gemara that, we were, that we're talking about here was more, you know, uh, descriptive, it's not actual. But the point here is that there was just this whole experience of Matan Torah was so awesome, so unusual. Perhaps we'll use the word, even though it's not exclusive to this, Nes Galui, right? Which maybe we'll tie back if we have time to Purim, right? Being the opposite. That who wouldn't have accepted the Torah if we were there, right? (laughs) It's like right smacking you in the face. Right? If you see these Nisim happening in front of you, you're gonna right, you're gonna go along the bandwagon. It's just it's so obvious. It doesn't matter exactly where you are every day of the year in terms of your observance or how much you learn. Right? If you're sitting there with so to speak God right in front of you, right, and these Nisim Guliim impacting you, you're going to accept the Torah. It's just like who would be a fool not to? 
So the way the Maharal explains, it's not that we didn't choose to be, or it wasn't that we were forced. It was just, it was this element of, like, you have to, because uh, who wouldn't? Right? It was just like obvious to everybody, this recognition that Hashem's hand was staring you in the face, who wouldn't be listening? So that's how the Maharali Prague explains this idea. It's not forced or coercion the way we normally use those words. It's more just we were so in awe, so enamored by the experience that we, quote, quote unquote, didn't have a choice. That's what he says. And I think we're slowly getting to the point, and we'll add a few pieces to this, which is this is where the Kaf Aleim HaKagigit will complement the Na'asa Avinishma. Right? There has to be something added to, I'm going to use that word force, coerce, enamor us with accepting the Torah that will keep with us beyond the day of the, of the Kabbalah Torah. And in fact, Rav Soloveitchik, when he talks about this question, he has a very fascinating idea, which was that there's really no problem. Right? Rav Soloveitchik would always, always find when he, he would ask tons of questions. And then he would show how the questions just fall away. It's not like you have a question and an answer. There's really no question. Right? That was just kind of his approach. So essentially what he said was that it's true the people, the Jews in the time of Kabbalah Torah, in the Midbar, at Har Sinai, they were good with Nasev and Nishma, Right? They, they didn't need any coercion, any forcedness, right? But later generations, who are not as connected, not seeing the Yad Hashem perhaps, and as open away, he suggests that's the reason why we needed this next element. Again, why we need the Purim part, we'll have to come back to too, right? It's like, how many times are you going to go with this? But the point being, Rav Salvechik said it was actually for the people, our generation, everyone after that time. Uh, one, of, one of my rabbis, uh, um, by the name of Ramosha Weinberger, adds, I think, a little more of a personal twist to that. Um, and I've kind of alluded to it already. And I, to me, this is meaningful, right? We all know life isn't all rosy. It's not one set of perfect circumstances. No matter how blessed you are, there's going to be bumps in the road, whether it's with Parnassah or with health or with family matters, children, whatever it is. Life is full of different types of Challenges, we'll call them. And what Rav Weinberger said is that that's the message here, which is, Nasa Venishma is good for the days when you're connected, right? But we're not going to be connected every day of our lives or every day of the year. But yet, don't forget the Nishma part. I'm sorry, the, the Nasa part, right? So this Kafalem Harkigigit, this coercion, if we'll call it that, is there for us to remember. That that's the main thing. That we're this is a right. I don't know about you guys, but to me, a few of us were talking just before about our kids and age of kids, and when you have, you know, when they get older, and you know, I said, you know, you finally. So I have four children. My youngest just turned seventeen, and I said, I said to my wife the other day, I think we finally got it right. 
Like it took us, you know, my oldest son is 24, but I think by the time, you know, this one came around, we figured out this parenting thing. You know, I guess the first three were just, you know, uh, you know lab experiments to figure it out. But the, the, the point is that there are going to have these days when you just wake up and you're not sure that you want to, to daven or that you want to do mitzvah X, Y, or Z and whatever the mitzvah is could be different for each of us. So the, the exact example is not the same. But the idea of kafa alem har is to remind us, hey, this is not about me, right? There's other people that I represent. There's other people that are looking at me. There's me, right? We can have a whole other class about consistency and how doing something, even though at first it may not seem so exciting if you're doing some particular mitzvah, just because you're told and you're not really into it so much, but maybe after you do it a day, a week, a month, a year, 10 years, Hopefully you do connect. Now again, part of that has to do with the Nas of Anishma part two. If you expect it just to happen, that's not going to happen. Right? You need the Nishma, the learning part two. But point being that according to Rev Weinberger, the understanding here is that it's an it's a emotional message for us. That we have to remember that accepting the Torah is not one day here, one day there, when I feel it, yes, when I feel it, no. And uh, that's a pretty deep insight and, and, and one that's not always so easy to act with, but I think that's what we're here to think about. Another question, and this is one I'm just going to touch on, but I could not bring this up. Um, and there's a lot of commentary on the Tanakh on this. So we had Nasev and Ishma, the Luchot, the first Luchot. We have Kofalim, Harkigigit, the second Luchot. So which one were better? Like, what was, if someone were to ask you this strange question, right, which was better, the first luchot or the second luchot? What would you say? First. First, how come? That's definitely the natural inclination. And many say that. Hashem's hand wrote it. Ah, Hashem's hand wrote it. If he wanted plan B, he would have written plan B the first time, right? So many people think naturally that really... You know, we are all living in a plan B because of the chait that our forefathers did, right? There are other commentaries who say no. That might have been true at the time, right? But essentially, if you think about the Torah, which we're not going to talk too much about this part, but we know there's Torah Shavah Torah Shavah and how those interplay with each other. So there's a famous commentary called the Beit HaLevi, one of Soloveitchik's, uh, I think it was his great uncle, if I remember correctly, um, who in his commentary says that actually the second Luchot, just by virtue of the fact that it happened, were better. What does that mean, better? Right? In the first Luchot was the Torah Shabbatav, and whatever this means is on our level, the Torah Shabbatav, all... Infused. If you were in the midbar, learning the Torah from Moshe Rabbeinu, reading the Psukim, you kind of got the full explanation. But the Beit HaLevi says, clearly we didn't connect to that so well. Right? We needed kind of this separation so that we could understand properly. And therefore what he says is that really the second Luchot, which were just the Torah Shabbat and then the Torah Shabbat Pak came along separately for us to learn and understand the Torah Shabbat properly. 
That was a way we could connect to it. That's the way we could understand the mitzvot better. And therefore he says that actually the second luchot, better is probably the wrong word, but better for us, right? They're, 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 they're able to connect to us. So before we take this one step further, I just want to come back to um, the cheta ego question. Um, and I think you've probably heard me uh, allude to this. Whether it's the awesomeness of Matan Torah the first time, the Kolot Ubrakim, and whatever that actually looked like, or this Kafalem Har Kigigit concept, right? Let, let's actually let's just start with the Nasa Vanishma part, right? The, the, the first one. As much as I said before, I really believe that if I was there, I wouldn't have done wrong. I think the part that we may not appreciate when we just read the Tanakh is just how overwhelming of an experience that was, right? So similarly, this experience perhaps was so awesome, so unbelievable, so unusual, so not typical to our daily life, right? That even though we were there, we, 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 we couldn't take that to the next day. It's like, what do I do with that day too when it's not happening, right? So perhaps one could understand that the one reason, I'm sure there's others, why the Cheta Ego was able to happen was because we weren't able to take the lessons or some of the lessons from Matan Torah originally with us beyond that. And perhaps again, that's why we needed at least the second version of Matan Torah. We'll try to see if we have a few minutes to get to the third. But I think the point here is, is that we are, um, we might sometimes, when we read the Chumash, uh, minimize, like, what did it actually feel like to be a Jew living in this time, experiencing this, right? It's really easy to ask questions, right? It's really easy to say, yeah, I wouldn't have done that, or I would have done it a little differently, right? We could do that throughout the, the Chumash with, with different things, Right? My parenting skills are a lot better than Yitzhak, Ravinu, right? I mean, we could, we could ask tons of questions like that. So one answer, and I don't know that it's a complete one, I think food for thought for another time, is that this Nasa Vanishma, this Kabbalata Torah, Kolotu Brakim, as important as it is, not so sure that the Jews then, and maybe we can't, live with that on its own. And that version of Kabbalah Torah is not enough, perhaps, if that's the right way of saying it, for us to be literally accepting the Torah every morning when we wake up in the morning, which I think is the goal, right? It can do part of the job. It can have us focus on certain elements, the voluntary part, the inspirational part when we're doing it on our own, but it may not be the full story. How am I doing for time? Oh, perfect. Um, The other thought, um, and then we'll shift just briefly to the Purim part. Two other questions, which I'm sure we've all thought about and heard that relate specifically to Shavuot, which is, unlike every other holiday, there are no mitzvot. Yeah, we have nice customs, 
do you eat dairy? Do you not eat dairy? What dairy? You know, different customs that we have. But no mitzvot like the other holidays, which is odd. And two, which is probably even more odd, is that there is no date for the holiday of Shavuot in the Torah. It doesn't say it. By every other holiday, it tells you, right? Tetvav Nisan is Pesach, and so forth. Every holiday, it tells you the date of the holiday. The only way we know when Shavuot is, is what? Omer. Counting the Sefirah to Omer. Right? We know you count 49 days, day 50, that's Shavuot. Why? It's like a little strange, right? Well, of all things, right? it's, it's an important holiday. Right? Why would there not be a date? And why would there not be some specific mitzvot? So I think if we wrap this together, you know, we could see that really the mitzvah, if we'll call it that for Shavuot, is just Torah, right? It's not some ancillary mitzvah, right? I'll digress for a minute. I, when I first started teaching, I used to teach uh, high school uh, girls. I always talked about in like an introductory course on mitzvot, that if you think about it, every single mitzvah, probably with the exception of Ahavat and Yirat Hashem, is something physical, right? Hashem recognizes that as much as we might aspire to grow in our spirituality, we are still physical beings. And therefore the mitzvot are physical things that we do that will hopefully help us grow spiritually. Right? So if you think about that, that's how all the holidays are supposed to be. Right? If I go outside now and sit in a sukkah, meaningless. doesn't count for anything. Right? If I shake a lulav, I might as well take a broomstick and a lemon. Right? It's not meaningful except for those days of those holidays. So every holiday, and again, this is not exclusive to holidays. It's true of many other mitzvot too. But every holiday have some physical mitzvah that we do that is supposed to help us uncover the connection of that holiday to Hashem, to our, you know, to our relationship with Him, and so on. Shavuot, it doesn't exist. And I think what we're getting towards is that because Shavuot, it's all about the Torah. It's all about, right, David said before, we stay up and learn, right? It's not just what we stay up and learn on Shavuot itself, but it's our re-accepting, our new Kabbalah Torah. Let's leave that for a minute. We'll come back to that to wrap up. So what about Purim? So Purim, again, I'm looking at the clock. I'm going to be sensitive to time. I'm just going to mention the beginning of the answer. But literally, we could take another 35 minutes just to talk about the Purim part. We won't do that. What was left? We had Nasa Venishma. We already decided and understand a little what the positives of that and what the potential downside or, you know, uh, you know, what's not perfect about it. We talked about why we needed some kind of coercion, inspirational coercion, however we understand this idea of kafalim harkigigit. So why was that not the end of the story? Right? Why Purim? Again, I'm not going to answer today why Purim and not some other holiday in between. You raising your hand? you have an answer back there? Oh, I thought you were raising your hands for answer. Okay. Usually people in the back have all the answers. Um, so, I'll just read with you the one source that we have here. I think it's uh, back. Oh, I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't bring it. Uh, uh, did I bring it? Yeah. If we go to source nine, 
the Rashi on the Gemara mentioned before, he says the words which many, 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 many pages have been written about. So when it comes to Kafa Aleim Har we said occurred when? On Yom Kippur. I don't know about you, but Yom Kippur, as wonderful of a day it is, is kind of a scary day. It's a serious slash scary slash, I don't know, maybe some of those things we talked about before in terms of our uh, Hakarat, you know, uh, you know, like the Maharal said. <clears throat> so perhaps one could argue, right, and I tie this back into the parenting part that we mentioned before. I don't know about you, but when was the last time you forced or scared someone into doing something that lasted, right? Doesn't usually happen, right? Certainly not with your own children, but maybe for other things, right? But the point is that there is a downside to this Kabbalah Torah of Yom Kippur also, in that it's all out of Yirah. It's all about this fear. It's about the coercion, which we explained already why we needed it. So there's this one downside left, which is that maybe the Kabbalah Torah, the second Luchot, also have a challenge of lasting. So again, we'll leave the full explanation for another time, but we know, and I alluded to it before, I tried to drop a few hints at this before, when I said before, the Nisim Guluyim of Kabbalah Torah. So we know that Purim is just the opposite. We know if you read the story, it doesn't sound too exciting, not necessarily any big undeniable miracles. You have to read it carefully to see how Hashem turned things and twisted things and pulled the strings. So the idea of Purim is all about the nistar, right? The hidden part. So if we had another half hour to develop that, which we won't take, we would understand that if you can wake up every morning understanding that Hashem allowed you to wake up, Everything you have is from Him. And go through your life of all of the things that happen that are not fancy, they're not exceptional, they're just normal daily things, right? That's the story of Purim. So perhaps that is what led the Jews at that time to this Ahava, this Ahava Tashem, this Kabbalah Torah from Ahava as opposed to Yira. And again, there's a lot more on that to talk about. But I think we could use that to wrap up. That Nasa Vanishma, we mentioned, amazing. You're willing to do something without understanding a word. You'll spend the rest of your life, hopefully, learning so you understand what you're doing. Right? The goal of Judaism is not to be a robot. Right? Nasa Vanishma is not to be a robot and not to understand. It's just to say, I'm going to do. Then I'll try to figure out and understand later. But we uncover the idea that really that's amazing. But there's one downfall. If I accept it on myself, I might give it up. So that's why we had to have this second version of Kafa Aleim Harkigigit. This, however you understand, I appreciate the words of the Maharal, which we mentioned, which it was just so awesome that we didn't have a choice. It's not that someone put a gun to our head and coerced us to do it. It's that any rational human being there at the time would have accepted the Torah because... You know, otherwise it would just be, you know, you'd be crazy and otherwise. So that helped us 
take care of some of the voluntary element to it. But perhaps one could say that that too was not lasting forever. And again, it might have taken a couple generations till the story of Purim, which was at least in Tanakh, one could argue, the best description of uh, many different things that happened in Benishtar hidden to make sure that we could see the hand of Hashem come out for the favor of the Jewish people. And that's what led to this final Kabbalah Tatar, final in Tanakh. <clears throat> and therefore, it's the Ahava Hashem that the story of Purim has. And again, I apologize, we don't have the time now to dig at that a little deeper. But I think at least we could leave tonight with the following. We could appreciate that in Tanakh there are these three versions of Kabbalah Torah. I think we can appreciate what each one brings, right? There's this voluntary part, there's this kind of recognizing that I shouldn't give myself a choice, maybe is a good way of putting it, right? Because I know what's good for me. And then there's this Ahava, which is probably the only way for us to really keep the Torah every day of our lives. And I think that's why I entitled the Shir that part, even though we're not spending more time on the Purim part. Right? <clears throat> it's easy for us to all talk about Nasa and Ishma, go into Shavuot this week, focus on that, and that'd be one accomplishment. But like we said, to be able to bring this message not just into Shavuot, not just a few months later into Yom Kippur, but every day in between, and then all the way leading up to Purim, I think if we recognize these three, um, is it concerned? I hope that didn't stop us. Oh, good. Uh, if we recognize these three historical events of Kabbalah the Torah and what they each represent, I think we have a better shot at understanding what it is that Hashem wants from us each and every day. Uh, and again, just to end, to repeat the Shavuot part, right? When we sit down this week and we realize that there's no mitzvah specifically, there's no date in the Chumash for this, but it's just about our own acceptance of the Torah. It doesn't matter, man, woman, what age you are, obviously different ages, it'll have different level of meaning. But I think if we're able to focus on these three things, I think we have, an op, we, have a, we have a shot at trying to take this message with us beyond the Shavuot, and hopefully, as the uh, title says, accept the Torah each and every day of our lives. Thank you again for everyone for coming. And uh, Thank you, Rabbi.